You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello and welcome to Flaunt, find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I am Laura Cheadle, and this is a show for anyone who has felt betrayed by their body, their life, or by somebody that they love and who is committed to using that devastation as a catalyst for good and not just for healing or a little bit of good, but I mean for creating a whole lot of good in the world. In that vein, today's guest is the incredible Neil Donald Walsh, who has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life. And if you're anything like me, it's that practical application piece that really matters. With an early interest in religion and a deeply felt connection to spirituality, Neil spent the majority of his early adult years thriving professionally, yet searching for greater meaning in life. I think we can all relate to that. He has said that this yearning led to a series of deep personal spiritual encounters, which he experienced as direct exchanges with the divine. A series of books titled Conversation with God emerged from these moments and have been translated into 37 different languages. With the Conversations with God first book, remaining on the New York Times bestselling list for two and a half years. His latest book is called The God Solution, and it was published in December of 2020. And what I loved so much about this book is it starts with some pretty powerful questions such as, if there's a God, why is our world such a mess? And what good does it do to have a supreme being if that supreme being isn't going to come in and start fixing things? And I know all of you who have felt betrayed have probably asked that question more than once. So with that, welcome to the show, Donald, or Neil Donald Walsh. I cannot wait to go deeper into this. Thank you, uh, Laura. It's very sweet of you to invite me to be here and share these moments with you. Let's dive right in, ask any question you want to ask. And But I do find it interesting that in a show about infidelity, your name would be Cheeto. I know it sounds like, I know it's spelled differently, but when you say it out loud, it sounds like, are you kidding me? She's going to talk about cheating and her name is Cheetle? Oh my gosh. You know, that has never crossed my mind. I love that you mentioned that. Wow. <laughs> when, you, when you said your name, I just got a grin inside. I thought, couldn't be any better. <laughs> That's some cosmic humor right there, isn't it? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How may I serve you, Laura? I would love to start talking, first of all, about what you call that God dilemma. And explain to the listeners, what is the God dilemma? Well, it is exactly as you posed it. 
people all over the world are asking, not only people who have had experiences of infidelity in their relationships, but people who are simply just looking at life in the world. You know, I mean, my goodness, with the pandemic, the global pandemic and the economic collapse it's created in the lives of millions, to say nothing, sadly, of the loss of lives of millions, with the racial injustice we're seeing right and left everywhere around the world, with the wars that are now going on on the planet, uh, it's, we ask ourselves, well, you know, why is this happening? But more importantly, as you posed the question yourself a minute ago, if there really is a supreme being, if there really is a so-called higher power, why is it not doing something, anything, to, to change this, to, to make life better for us. What's the point of having a higher power if it's not going to do anything but simply watch us wallow in our misery down here? And uh, I think it's a fair question. By the way, it's, a, it's a, an important question as well, uh, Laura, because as it turns out, recent surveys, and there have been uh, anthropologists who've gone around the world in the past eight or nine years asking uh, a single question. They've taken a survey of humanity, really. It's a one-question survey. Do you believe in a higher power? I'm not sure whether you know, but in every country, the statistics show almost the same result. What do you think that result is? 8.5%. 85%, 8.5 people of every 10 people say that they believe in a higher power. That's a lot of people. That's so, most of us. And that, so that makes this an important question. If you've got 80% of the people believing there is something more going on here than meets the eye, then we have to ask the question, why? Why bother with that belief? Why bother even holding such a thought if it doesn't do us any good? You know, what's God up to? Just sitting up there watching, you know, the world go to hell, so to speak, quite literally. Yeah. And uh, so I asked, of course, the same question. And the answer I got was, Neil, if I wanted to create a planet of minions, of servants, like some king ruling over a kingdom, you just do what I tell you to do and you'll be okay. And But if you disobey the rules, you'll be in big trouble, you know. If, that, if that's what I wanted to do, just to create a, a civilization, and for that matter, a galaxy, a, a, a cosmos, a universe of minions, servants, uh, I could have easily done that. But that didn't bring me my greatest joy. My greatest joy was experienced in bringing you and giving you, all of you, every sentient being in the cosmos, the power to create your own reality. Yeah. And I noticed that you're doing that on Earth right now. You're in fact creating your reality, and you, you think that somehow I should intervene in the reality that you're creating. But I've given you free choice. You can create whatever reality you wish, including, if you choose, your own self-destruction. Yes. So maybe you want to look at a different question, which is, why are you choosing, you meaning the human race, why are you choosing what you're choosing? And why are you living what you're living? And why aren't you doing something to change it and to create a new outcome for yourself? So I kind of looked at that whole question yeah. and, I, I, and I came up with a, a solution because here's, here's the problem as I see it, Nora, 
You'll forgive me, by the way, for giving a 35-minute answer to a 35 No, it's, it's, it's perfect because everything is multi-layered and deep. So uh, I, I looked at this deeply and I thought, okay, there's, there is in fact more going on here than meets the eye. And what's happening? I mean, why are we behaving the way we're behaving? Because we think that this is the way God behaves. Human beings have been taught by its religions. And by the way, there are over 4,000 religions on the face of the earth right now. I didn't make that number up. If you think I'm just you know, saying something to make a point, Google it. Just type in Google how many religions are there on the planet today, and you'll get an answer quick within 10 seconds. Well, actually within two seconds. And right. the answer will be there are 4,200 religions on the planet faith traditions right now wow. uh, that are being practiced on earth. So That's with 4,000, but, but the 4,000 religions, the largest number of them, by far the vast majority of them teach of a higher power, teach of a God, if you please, that is loving, yes, mm -hmm. but also judgmental, condemning, and punishing if we don't do exactly what that higher power demands and commands and requires. And so we've learned to love each other in the same way. Individuals with other individuals, groups with other groups, nations with nations, either do as I say, or I will condemn and punish you. Yeah. And this is what we're creating on the planet right now. We can see it everywhere we look. Wow. You know, pathological behaviors of self-destruction. You know, we're simply destroying each other emotionally and sometimes actually physically, sadly, mm -hmm. when the other does not do what we say that they must do. And we're constantly threatening each other and behaving with each other in this way. So I thought, well, now, you know, if we're trying to do that because, or if we are in fact doing that because we're trying to imitate God, then we've created God in our image and likeness, which is the opposite of what we are told. We're told that, you know, that, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, but in fact, we've created God in the image and likeness of humans. We think that God has the same foibles, the same needs, the same desires, the same faults, the same proclivities, proclivities the same behaviors that human beings have. And that, of course, is our first mistake. So I thought about this deeply and I thought, well, what, what could change that? And right. I was inspired, I believe, by God to say, simply change your definition of who and what God is. Decide that God can be redefined in two words, pure love. Now, Laura, when I offer this observation uh, in front of an audience, a live audience, someone in the back of the room inevitably stands up and says, oh, Neil, 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 I've been listening to you now for 10 minutes and that's all you have to offer. God is love. I mean, everyone agrees with that. Even the world's religions, they may have disagreements about dogma and, and doctrine, but every religion agrees that God is love. That's, that's your big revelation. Right. And I have to say to them, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what I said. You didn't hear me correctly. I didn't say that. 
I said, God is pure love. And my listener will say, okay, all right, what's the difference? The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Now, Nora, I'm sorry, Laura, Laura, that, that, that is uh, theologically revolutionary. Yes. All the world's religions, certainly, but the largest number of them, believe the opposite is true. So if we are saying that God requires and demands and needs nothing from us in return for God's favors to be showered upon us, then we are, in fact, revolting. It's a revolutionary statement. We are, we are saying that the primary teaching of the largest number of the world's religions is, in fact, false, or if you please, mistaken. Mistaken. But what would happen if we adopted that idea? It would create a new foundation, a new ethic for humanity, because presently our ethic is based on our understanding of God's ethic. Correct. Which is really backwards because we're doing him as us and us as him, and it's gotten really convoluted, hasn't it? It has gotten not only convoluted, but devastating. Yeah. And so if we changed our idea about who and what God is, we would create a new foundation, a new ethic, a new ethical construction that would then guide us in all of our activities, our political activities, our economic activities, our social interactions, and yes, our spiritual understandings as well. Everything would change if we decided, oh, I see, loving you is a process through which I simply am blissfully rewarded by the giving of my love to you. And I need, require, expect, and demand nothing in return. My dear Laura, we can't even love the person on the pillow next to us that way, much less the people across the street or around the world. Yeah because we've been taught to love each other conditionally. I love you if, mm-hmm. and if, you, if you know, I have my needs, you have your needs, you know, I'm, you know, I'm willing to be fair about it. I mean, if you meet my needs, I'll try to meet yours, but you know, we, I mean, we can, we can interact that way. We can just have a kind of like a trade deal. Right. Like nations have trade deals, nations have, you know, construct trade agreements with each other. And so I can you know, have that kind of a love relationship with you. And on Valentine's Day, I'll send you the perfect Valentine's card. My dearest, my darling, my sweetheart, I trade you very much. And I will trade you until the end of time. I will never stop trading you. But if you stop trading me, the deal is off. Yes. Because this is how we understand God behaves with us. I trade you very much. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you everything that you need. But if you don't give me what I need, the deal is off. Not only is the deal off, actually, I'm going to send you to hell. Yes. Everlasting damnation. Let me share with you a story, Laura, that may shock you. 
when I was nine years old, not 29, not 49, but nine years old, I was told by a Catholic priest, you see, I went to a Catholic, my parents, God bless me, sent me to a Catholic school. We were a Catholic family and I was sent to a parochial elementary school. Right. Now, I'm in third grade and the priest comes in once a week to teach us catechism which is a class in the doctrines and the dogmas of the Catholic Church. Right. And on this particular Wednesday, now the priest is saying to his children, let's talk today about mortal sin and venial sin. Venial sin being, in a sense, kind of a spiritual misdemeanor. But a mortal sin, you know, is a major offense against God. Right. And if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, if you haven't gone to confession and, and been absolved of that offense, you will go straight to hell where you will languish forever, for all of eternity, in unspeakable and indescribable suffering. Mm. You know, the fires of Hades will mm -hmm. be visited upon you for the rest of your experience and um, all through eternity. I said, oh, oh, so all the kids in the class are listening very carefully. This is not an unimportant message. And, and so we're well, well, Father, you know, how would we know what's a mortal sin? Or, you know, what's the biggest offense? And he said, and the priest said, well, I could give you a whole list, you know, obviously, but let me give you one that I think you would all easily understand, even at your age. If you miss mass on Sunday without a good excuse, you've committed a mortal sin. That's and, a then if you, and, then if, and then if you die, if you get hit on Monday by a car, God forbid, and should die on Tuesday, you'll be in hell where you'll spend the rest of eternity suffering. in unbelievable suffering and anguish. And I said, Father, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but am I hearing you correctly? For missing Mass? You know, one Sunday of my life? Now, you, you should know, Laura, that I went to Mass almost every week of my life. I was an altar boy. I, was, I went to Mass almost every week mm -hmm. of my life. But as it happened, as life would construct it, that particular Sunday, I went to the playground. Uh, to play baseball because it was the big intra playground world series, the world series of playgrounds, softball, you know, and I played right field for our team. And they were saying, Neil, you can't miss the game. You can just miss mass one Sunday. So I told my parents a little white lie. You know, I left the house and I told them, you know, that I was going to church or let them think that I was because right. I did every Sunday. But this Sunday I went to the playground. Now, now, now the priest is telling me this on Wednesday. I'm going to hell if I should die with that mortal sin on my soul. But so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to go to confession. I got to go to confession. I got to be forgiven my sins by the priest, be given absolution. But there's no confession in churches on Wednesday or on Thursday or on Friday. In our parish, the confessions were on Saturday. They were offered Saturday afternoon, one day a week. You know, the priest wasn't in the confessional seven days a week. So, but on Saturday, so I thought, well, what if I die before Saturday? Now, you know, I'm nine years old. I'm not putting it, I'm not stitching this together That's because I'm listening, I'm listening to the supreme religious authority in my life, which is the parish priest. Right. And so, of course, I'm, I'm saying my prayer every night until I get, let me just get through to Saturday. I'm saying my prayer, you know, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I'm so scared that I, you know, what if I did die? I'm sorry, God, I didn't mean to miss mass. I didn't know it was that important to you. 
<laughs> you know, and only when I got a little older, I don't, I'm not really making fun of this because, you know, I thought when I got older, okay, maybe the priest was exaggerating a bit. This can't really be the teaching, but I've checked it recently. Yeah. In fact, the church teaches to this day that simply missing mass on Sunday without a good excuse will send you to hell. Wow. If you don't get to confession and confess that sin and so and be absolved of so, and, and talk about filling the pews with fear. Totally. And so we've used the fear of God to produce certain behaviors in humanity. Yes. And we've learned, therefore, to use fear with each other as well. And that's how we love each other. And so the God solution would be a solution for all of humanity's behaviors. As I said, our political, social, economic, and spiritual interactions would be now guided by a new ethic. Oh, I see. Yeah. I don't require anything from you in return for the goodness that I bestow upon you. That's real love. Yeah. Laura, if I only love you because of what I think I can get from you, that I'm only loving me through you. I'm simply using you hmm. as a device with which to bring love to myself. But what if I chose to love you no matter what you did or did not offer me? In fact, if you offered me nothing in particular, what if I had no list of requirements of you of any kind? Then how would I interact with you? That's powerful. It's life-changing. Mm -hmm. And if we decided to enter into that kind of a relationship with our beloved other, 98% of the divorces on this planet would be eliminated. Yes. Yes. And that leads me to kind of the question, the practical application of that, because for so many people, I think they can understand that up here in their head. And they say, yes, that totally makes sense. But do you know what he did to me? Or do you know what she said to me? And they get caught in that judgment so easily. And it's hard being raised on this planet to really break out of judgment. Unless it's not. Unless, unless it's, it's hard, unless it's not. Hmm. <laughs> which is important for us to know that there are options, there are people, there are ways to break out of that pattern. And you know what's interesting, Laura? Every spiritual master and every spiritual teacher through the centuries, for thousands of years, have told us that that's true. Yeah. Muhammad, bless his holy name, told us that's true. Jesus, God bless him, told us that's true. Buddha told us that's true. All the great masters, male and female, through the years, told us that this is true, that we can break out of that pattern, that that is not the natural way of being. It may be normal, but it's not natural. Ooh, and there's good. a huge difference. Yeah. So, so, I mean, were they charlatans? Was yeah. Jesus a con man? No. Or was he actually onto something when he said, do unto others as you would have it done unto you? Yeah. 
And and when they said to him, but 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 hey, pal, I mean that's easy easy to say, but I mean, what if somebody did something terrible to you? What if they actually tried to kill you? Or, or what if they did horrible things to you, stole everything you have, or or betrayed you in some deeply emotional way? They would then become your enemy, of course, and you couldn't possibly interact with them in the way you're suggesting. What do you think we should do then, pal? <laughs> and Jesus said, well, you could try this. Bless. Bless. Bless your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And do good to those who would do you evil. Mm-hmm. You could... You could try this. When a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. When a man steals your coat, give him your shirt as well. Mm -hmm. When a man forces you to walk one mile with him, go with him twain. And raise not your fist to heaven. And curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness, that you might know who you really are, and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. And that's so important, to let them know who they are as well through your love. And I earlier you had said that you're just using somebody to love you when you have that conditional love. And this is just the opposite of that, using your unconditional love to show them that they are unconditional love as well, that you are all united, that we are all unconditional love because we're made in the image and likeness of God, who is also pure unconditional love. See, but the real question is, Neil, this all sounds very lovely. You know, like Laura said a minute ago, it's all very sweet. You know, it's a nice head trip. But how do I get past my conditioning? Because I have needs. I mean, I'm just a human. I have needs. And one of my needs is the loyalty of my mate. He promised me, she promised me that we would be exclusive with each other in this particular way, that we wouldn't be sharing our sexual intimacies or for that matter, our bank account or anything else with other people. You know, what is, how do I deal with that? Yeah. I have needs and my needs have not been met here. My need for loyalty has not been met. Mm-hmm. But I was told in the book, Communion with God, that mm-hmm. there are 10 illusions of humans And the first illusion of humans, by the way, God said, there are not 10 commandments. You're not even obeying what you think are the 10 commandments anyway, but I never gave you any commandments to begin with. Right. But there are 10 illusions that you live in. And the first of the 10 illusions of humans is the illusion of need, that need exists. You actually don't need anything. Right. And I say to God, oh, no, 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 oh, come on, come, come, give me a break. I need certain things. God says, no, you're making it all up. Yeah. You've just decided that you need certain things. And your own life has proved it to you because there have been times in your life when you thought you needed a particular outcome or a particular event or a particular object or you know whatever in your life and didn't, didn't experience that. And you went on to live a perfectly happy life anyway. 
Right. So in fact, you're making it all up. But I said, I said okay, 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 I, I get it. I don't really need that particular car, or I don't need to live in that particular neighborhood, or I don't even need that particular person in my life. But I mean, come on, God, I, I, I need to at least, you know, food, clothing, and shelter. I need to eat, I need to stay alive. God said, oh, I see. Unless you didn't need to stay alive. Unless you realize that you couldn't die if you tried, that your life is eternal, and that your need to remain in physical form at this particular moment in what you call time mm -hmm. is another idea that you've made up. There are those who have said, you know what, I would rather die than do what you want me to do. Joan of Arc. Right. Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There are, there are people who have said, you know, excuse me, give me liberty or give me death. And they've actually said, I will not live according to what you want me to do. I will not betray you or myself in order to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and shoot me. Mm -hmm. Because people have known that the larger importance is not how long we live, but how we live, whether we live 20 minutes longer or 20 years longer. Yeah. And what liberation in that? Total freedom to at last be who we really are. Yes. One of the things that I really loved in your book is you have a section talking about forgiveness and how, again, we don't need forgiveness. Forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was high-fiving my book. I love that section so much. <laughs> I would love you to talk a little bit more about that because it's my personal belief in the work that I do that so many people get hung up on. I can't forgive. I need to forgive. If so-and-so would only do this, then I could forgive and that it's all unnecessary. So I'd love you to explain and talk a little bit more about that if you would. I'm not going to. Will you forgive me? <laughs> I don't need to forgive you. Oh, well, then I guess I will. <laughs> Forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth. And when God told me, it's not my idea, I was told this. Right. And when God said this to me, I thought, oh, whoa, this is, we're off the rails here. What, what are you telling me? I, everything I've been taught since I was a child. Use this as a foundation, you know. And, and God said, no, 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 no. Because if you think that that you, you know, that someone else deserves and requires and should be given your forgiveness, then you have forgotten who you are. You have denied who you are. Yes. You have set aside your truth or the truth about who you are. Because who you are is an individuation of divinity. And that which is divine cannot be hurt, angered, injured, upset, disappointed, frustrated in any way. So since you cannot experience any of those experiences, no one can damage you in any way. There's no need to forgive anyone. So I've learned that, you know, and I, and I, I the example that I offer is an example of, of Pope John Paul II. 
he's since celebrated his continuation day, but when he was still in physical form, he was in a motorcade going through Rome a few years ago, and a guy stepped out of the crowd and shot him. Not once, not twice, not three times, six times. He got, he got, he fired off six shots before anybody could stop him. And all six bullets hit the Pope. Mm. And he was riddled with bullets, but you know what? They, of course, rushed him to the hospital and he was saved. His life was saved. Miraculously, he survived that onslaught. And of course, they, they caught the guy and actually just jumped all over him and they threw him in jail for life. This is in Italy, by the way. You don't you don't attempt to yeah. shoot the Pope in Italy. No, you don't. But they put him in jail for life, even though the Pope survived. But the Pope went to the attempted assassin's jail cell when he had recovered. And he said to the man something quite extraordinary. Most people wouldn't believe what he said to the man when he got in his jail cell. He said... In nomine patriae filii spiritus sancti, amen. He gave the man his papal blessing. Yeah. And um, then he said to the man, you know, I can't agree with, of course, I wouldn't condone what you've done. I wouldn't suggest it as a solution to any problem. And I hope that no one ever imitates you and that it's never done again to anyone. But I would like to understand, would you be willing to share with me so that I can understand why you would do such a thing? And the man said, by the way, I'm not making this story up. This is all over the newspapers. It's a matter of history. There were reports, of course, the Pope can't go anywhere. There were reporters all over the place on right. the other side of the jail cell, listening to everything that was being said. And the man said, well, you know, uh, I, I'm sorry. That, you know, I, I looking back on it, but he said, you know, I'm a Muslim. I'm, I'm, uh, and he said, uh, I believe that the Catholic Church has done more than any other single human institution to hurt or injure or damage the Islamic faith. And so I thought, you know, I was going to pay the church back in like kind hmm. revenge and the pope said you know again i don't agree with that as a solution to any problem but i do understand the frame of mind that could cause you to do such a thing yes and so i'm going to stick with where i was a minute ago I'm going to give you my papal blessing and hope that you will change the way you decide to solve the problems that you feel with, that you feel you're confronted with. Now, here's what's interesting. The two became actual pen pals. They wrote letters back and forth from the jail cell to the Vatican, back to the jail cell, back to the Vatican. I'm not making this up. This is a matter of history. Yeah. And they have copies of these letters that went back and forth between these two gentlemen. And finally, after seven years, the Pope asked the civil authorities in Italy to grant the man a full pardon and to free him from jail. Because the Pope didn't miss the fact that this was a teachable moment for humanity. 
Yes. <laughs> so and powerful. That, and that he wanted to demonstrate, oh, I see it's possible to bless, actually to physically bless your enemies mm -hmm. and to do good to those who would do you evil. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I think is so important about it. It's not just saying, oh, yeah, I bless you and I love you and I'm over it. And then putting no feeling, no action, no positivity behind it. He really did seek first to understand. And then he continued to bless and to love and support. And that's pure love. That is that outward flowing of that pure, positive love. And that doesn't mean I want to emphasize for the third time, because we'll have listeners who say, you know, I don't get that. That doesn't mean agreeing with what was done. It doesn't mean condoning it. It doesn't mean asking for it to be done again. It simply means, you know what? I can understand how you could have made such a mistake. Yes. And you go a little bit deeper in the book too, when you talk about understanding the mistake, but that also even what we perceive as bad actions are done so often in the name of love. You love Everything you. Everything that anyone does is in, done in the name of love. Yes. Every act is an act of love. Yes. Another thing that God said to me, and when I was first told that, I was going, well, I'm like, wow, this is craziness. What are we talking about? Every act is an act of love. I mean, child abuse is an act of love. Robbing a bank is an act of love. I mean, what are you telling me? God said, Neil, think about it below the shallow level at which the human mind is used to operating. Just think deeply. Somebody loved something in order to commit child abuse. Somebody loved something in order to rob that bank. Yeah. You know, somebody, somebody stole your cell phone from the table when you walked away for just a moment and turned around and it's gone because they love something. In this case, they love the cell phone and they don't know how to get one of their own. They don't have the money for it, so they just swiped one of yours. Yeah. Because they see that you clearly have. So love sponsors, love of something, love of power over, love of something sponsors every single act, or we wouldn't do it. Right. Nobody, as conversations with God made clear to me, nobody does anything inappropriate given their model of the world. And that's such an important caveat, given their model of the world. And if we only understood what their model of the world was, then we could have understanding and the compassion would naturally flow. I was told in conversations with God something quite shocking. And I had to make a decision. Do I believe in this or do I not? And this is what I was told that was very shocking. Hmm. Neil. Hitler went to heaven. I love that so much. What? What are you telling me? Is there no justice? God said, first of all, Neil, there's no other place to go. I get that you think there's a hell, but there is no hell. So Hitler went to heaven because there's no other place to go. But secondly, he went to heaven because he, along with many other people, to varying degrees, have made the kinds of mistakes that 
a beginning species that a primitive species makes. Thinking wrongly and then thinking that you can get your way by acting wrongly, like a child. Right. You know, like a six-month-old or a six-year-old child. Doesn't know. Doesn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand, Neil, that the human species is the, among the children of the universe, a very young species. Yeah. I know you think that you know, you've been around, I mean, human, human beings have been around for a long time, but relative to the age of the universe, oh, it's blink of an eye. So understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Yeah, which is huge. Okay, that brought up a really, a really important question that I want to ask you. The things that God tells you, many, including me, find to be so true and so right on and feel so right. And there are others who say, this is wacky stuff. You are betraying the church by saying that. You are corrupting the word of God by saying that. How blasphemy you... is blasphemy. You are committing blasphemy. Yes. Well, George what Bernard Shaw famously said, all great truths begin as blasphemies. Write that on your bathroom mirror. All great truths begin as blasphemies. Things that we thought were blasphemous 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 30 centuries ago, turn out to be in fact true. I mean, ask the spirit of Galileo. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Galileo said in 1604 that the earth revolved around the sun. The church said, blasphemy, blasphemy. The church has been teaching for hundreds of years that the sun revolves around the earth because the earth is the center of God's creation. And human beings are the epitome of God's created, created beings. And of course, he, that was blasphemy. They put him under house arrest because the Catholic Church at that time was the law of the land. And they put Galileo under house arrest where he died under house arrest. He was what I call an idea hero. Yes. He said, I'm sorry, I know that this violates everything that we think we know on this subject, but in fact, this is what's true. So idea heroes are people who say, I understand that the largest number of people may disagree with this idea, but the time will come when we will all see, ah, this is what's true. So between now and that time, we get to ask ourselves this question. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand about God, about life, and about ourselves, the understanding of which would change everything? No, we can say, no, it's not possible, Neil. It's not possible. I mean, come on, Neil. It's all, the, the truth is, it's all there in the book. It's just read the book. It's in the good book. Just read the Upanishads. I, I mean, the Bhagavad Gita. I, I mean, the Book of Mormon. I, 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 I mean, I mean the, the Old Testament, I, you know, the, the Torah. I mean, the, whatever, whatever book you believe in. Just read it, whatever book you want to read, and get clear that that book contains the truth and all the other books don't. 
<laughs> are lies. Or is it possible that the whole truth has not yet been made clear, or at least embraced even after it has been made clear by every great spiritual teacher? of which, by the way, I am not. I don't put myself in that category. I'm simply a repeater. I repeat what I've come to understand. Oh, and by the way, when you make the, the comment, Neil, what God told you this and God told you that, I want to make something very clear. God is talking to all of us all the time. Yes. Please don't get into the idea that, oh, Neil thinks that God talks to him, so he's the next great prophet. Excuse me, the first message of Conversations with God in the first portion of chapter one of book one of 4,000 pages of conversational dialogue, the first major revelation is when God says, I talk to everyone mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. The question is not to whom is God talking. The question is who's listening. Yes. Yes. And so many of us dismiss. Sure. For, for an interesting reason. Because it's too good to be true. Oh, I like that. And isn't that right? Because it's so much easier to act in pure and conditional love. It really is. It's so much easier to listen and to understand and to feel than it is to follow all of the rules. And it's and it, but it's too good to be true that if we do that, the, the, you know, we'll create a whole new way of living for ourselves and those around us. So I said, to, I actually said to God in my dialogue, you know what, half the stuff you're telling me, because God made some other statements as well. For instance, she said to me at one point, Neil, there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's only what works and what does not work, given what it is you're trying to do. And you're calling it right and wrong to justify your own behavior. Mm -hmm. And many other statements were made to me as well. There are no victims and no villains in the world. Just a, a whole string of statements. And I said, you know what, God? I, I said, I can't believe this stuff you're telling me. This is too good to be true. Mm -hmm. God said to me, sweetheart, if God can't be too good to be true, who can? Right. Right. So how about you give up your childish notions yeah. on what is true and expand your consciousness to a place where you can begin to embrace the unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I like that you went with the victim and villain as well, um, because I know so many of the listeners, you know, to the show in particular feel like I have been victimized by a villain and the freedom in realizing actually I wasn't, it was an experience and it wasn't right or wrong, good or bad. And it's now up to me to continue to take that next step. To decide who I am. It's now up to me to decide who am I in relationship to that with which I've been confronted, to that which is making itself present and apparent in my life. Who am I? There's only really one question in life. Yes. Who am I? Yes. And who do I choose to be? Yeah. Which it's is really quite simple. Yeah, it is.
So where can listeners get a hold of your newest book, find out more about you, become more involved with this work? Well, if they choose to, yeah. uh, they can, uh, my book is purchasable almost anywhere. You just go to you know, any online bookstore and type in The God Solution if they choose to have their own hard copy. Um, I also, uh, if a person writes to me, I will send them uh, the author's manuscript at no cost. I'll just, I'll just upload it right to their mailbox. So all they have to do is drop me a note at neil at neildonaldwalsh.com and I'll send them a copy of The God Solution, an author's copy, author's manuscript. And so, but, and if they want to stay in touch, if they want to stay connected with the energy that they're experiencing here from the conversations with God material, uh, they can just go to cwgconnect.com. Wonderful. And they can stay connected with CWG, which of course is Conversations with God. So cwgconnect.com, and uh, there they'll find a platform called Ask Neil. And if they click on Ask Neil, <clears throat> excuse me, if they click on Ask Neil, they can connect with me. I, I'm there two or three times a day Wonderful. responding to people's questions. Wonderful. And listeners, especially if this is sounding a little like, oh, this is making my head hurt. I get it, but I don't quite get it. I really encourage you to reach out, to go deeper. And I've got a favorite copy of one of my favorite books, Little Soul in the Sun, also by Neil Donald Walsh. And for any of you, again, who have felt betrayed by your body, your life or someone that you love, this was what I clung to during my betrayal recovery experience. And yes, it's a child's book. It's a parable, but it was something that I would read. And it just chokes me up to even think about it. But every night before bed to remind myself who I am, because life can be difficult and it can be painful. And like Neil said earlier, what is relevant is knowing who you are. And for me, this book reminded me every night that I am a pure soul, that I am part of God and that nobody can damage me because I too am a piece of God. And you know what, my dear, it's important for me to say with people, to share with people that this is not about creating a spiritual bypass. Yeah. What I call a little bypass operation. This, This is not about denying your pain, denying your feelings, denying your hurt. This is not about, you know, trying to somehow pretend that, oh, I'm bigger than this. I'm larger than this. This doesn't bother me. No, no, no. This is not about telling yourself an intellectual or spiritual lie. Yes. In fact, quite the opposite. This is about saying, in fact, this feels horrible. This hurt me deeply. But with that as a truth, with that as a given, I am larger than even this. Or as my mother used to say to me when I was a child, when I had big disappointments in my childish life, you know, and I'd share them with my mother, you know, and the biggest one was when my brother, because, you know, when I was about, again, I was about nine or 10 years old. This was a pretty big deal. I had a record collection. Those days we had records. They were were actually made of, you know, wax records. Yeah. And, and And I had this record collection I was really proud of. And my older brother, in a moment of bullying that older brothers sometimes did, 
he decided to sit. He put my records on his bed and he sat down on them repeatedly and he broke all my records. Oh. He smashed all my records, my entire record collection to get even with me for something that I did. Apparently, I forgot what it was, but he was going to show me who the boss was. So he destroyed my record collection. Now, at the age of nine or 10, you know, there are very few things that could have happened to me on a personal level that would have hurt me more. And I ran to my mother, mom, mom, you know, and all. Of course, I told on him. Mm. You know, but my mother put me in her lap and she said something to me, which she repeated to me all through my younger years, through my teenage years, when I lost my first girlfriend, when I had a crack, a car accident with my very first car, with all the little tragedies of my life, she would say the same thing. Sweetheart, even this shall pass away. But so, you, but you, my dear, will not. You will live forever, and even this shall pass. So I have remembered that, not denying my pain, not hmm. pretending that it didn't feel horrible, not trying to talk myself out of my innermost feeling, but simply looking at life and saying, okay, that is how it feels. Now, what am I going to be in response to that? Yes. How do I choose to heal that? Yeah. By somehow getting back at the other? By somehow getting revenge? Nope. Or by just simply leaving? By, you know, by, by ending, you know, by one way leaving? Now, if we both decide, you know, in an agreement that we no longer right. want to be together, that's one thing. But am I going to say, okay, I'm out of here, even if my... Beloved says, please don't, I'm so sorry that what I did, please, please can we stay together? Then the question is, okay, now where am I with regard to that? Right. And some people have said to me when I explain this to them, well, then you you let the other person be your abuser. That, that, nope. that person is abusing you. No, actually, no. No. This is not about putting someone else's needs ahead of mine. This is about saying we're on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hear you and you are hearing me and I hear you made a thunderous mistake. I hear you telling me that you seek forgiveness, that you wish that you hadn't done it, that you'd like us to stay together. And if that's what I truly want as well for us to stay together, then let's make that mutual choice. Not because one or the other of us is the winner here and one of us is the loser, but because both of us are in love. And we're both divine pieces of God doing our best in every single moment. It's one way to live your life. It is. It's all a choice because we're, we're creators. And like you said, God is letting us create. Thank you so much for your amazing wisdom. I feel like we could just talk for hours because Every word in this book is something that I deeply wish the world would hold on to and embrace and live out. If people read The God Solution, it can change their life. And what I want to mention is that the last four chapters of that book, chapter 24 through 29, are in fact uh, chapters on how to use the process of metaphysics, the mechanics of metaphysics to manifest the reality in life that we choose. Yeah. 
very, very important aspect of the book itself, another part of the God solution. So if you're walking through your life going, you know, what is going on? Is there any solution to any of this? Give yourself permission to at least explore it. You may, you may not agree with it. You may read it and not agree with it. That's okay too. Okay. But allow yourself to be open-minded enough to look at the God solution. Yeah, because it is a solution. It is a solution to whatever it is. Thank you again for being here, Neil. It was my greatest pleasure. Listeners, have an incredible week. Reach out, connect, buy this book, and then let's have a conversation about it. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are, because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 